All right. Many moments are iconic. We would say iconic moments. Um, on a very small scale, this happens in a sports event. Uh, good or bad in a game, a season or a career even, like Love's three-point shot with a minute left last night that put UNC ahead of Duke. Alas, I am a Duke fan. But many bigger things would be iconic. whole turning point of a war, a struggle, epic turning points like Caesar's crossing of the Rubicon, Washington's crossing of the Delaware, ending eras, words like Gorbachev, tear down that wall, Moments that memorialize a leader for generations to come. Assassinations of Lincoln, JFK, Martin Luther King. These are the type of events that that kind of are pegs in at least our recent history uh, to know what's kind of turning the river of time. Perhaps in your life, you would say, if you were to write my biography, this event would be a turning point. Things went really bad after that. Or maybe things went really great after that. But you would say, I've had some of these epic turning points in my life, and if you were to write my biography, I would need to make sure that every story would have to include that event. Well, as we tell the story of Jesus, who is Jesus We would think of several of these events. I think next Sunday's Palm Sunday would be one of those. I would say, as I read the Gospels, I'd say, boy, you got to include that. But what would Jesus say needs to be in every biography of him? What scene would he pick out as a primary scene to be memorialized forever wherever his good news was told? It would be this one. Jesus says, wherever you tell the good news about me, I want what was done here to be told as well. And it's this unselfish, sacrificial worship of a dear lady. And so we're going to dip into this scene today, and it is very challenging. Um, but it's very encouraging. I really have enjoyed this series. I hate that we have to put it to a close, but we're, we're going to. Uh, we're in session 13 uh, of looking at the life of Christ from Christmas to Easter. Um, I'm going, you see in your notes there, we have a whole page seven of notes, and, and that's just kind of this review. We are, we're not even going to get into that. Um, he is the promised one. Right, the preparation for Christ, and then you see the public ministry of Christ. He is the Son of God, Son of Man. And then we're getting here to the passion of Christ. That's what we're getting to uh, this week and the next few, next couple Sundays. Um, as we look today at worship before weeping. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to look primarily at page 8 on your outline there. Um, but, but just dipping into this scene, worship before weeping. Uh, today, worship before weeping, looking at the life of this dear lady. Uh, what I'd like to do before we jump into the text is just give, me, give you an overview of the final week of Jesus' life. And these are just pegs to help you 
plot out what would be almost half a lot of your Gospels, right? Like, especially John, but, but even Mark, like a big chunk of, of Jesus' story is told covering this last week, okay? So we've done this. We've, we've looked all the way from his birth, and we've gone through here. We've recognized that a lot of the story starts here in late 20s A.D., um, but the biggest chunk is here, these last few months, right? And, and then we're going to get even, fine-tuned even more as we look at these last days, okay? And so we have the Feast of Passover, and now this last Passover where Jesus is actually crucified, and we're going to zoom right into his final week, okay? So this is where we're headed. Uh, the final week of Jesus, I'm just going to mention these in passing, and we're going to really focus on this Saturday. Last Sunday, we talked about one person. What was his name? Begins with, good, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus probably happened the week before this on uh, Thursday-ish, this week. And then you have Friday, Saturday is our session today, Sabbath meal in Bethany. Sunday, next Sunday we'll look at this, the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. That Monday would be the picture of the fig tree. Tuesday of Passion Week, I call Teaching Tuesday. A huge chunk of your Gospels happen on that with just the teaching of Jesus. Wednesday is silent. Um, Thursday, of course, is is where you have a a lot of these big events. The Last Supper, the Inner Circle Teaching, Gethsemane, Betrayal and Arrest. Friday, the Trials and Crucifixion. And then Sunday, the Resurrection. Okay, so that's that week leading up to Easter Sunday. And today we're going to look at the Saturday before as Jesus is in Bethany at this Sabbath meal. Um, a lot of you are Jewish and you've done Sabbath meals. Uh, I guess I've never done that. I, th- I think maybe I have. Uh, but uh, I eat on Saturday, right? So I guess I've done a Sabbath meal. Uh, but this was a special uh, set-aside time uh, Friday or Saturday, where you have a lot of people coming together for the Sabbath meal. And we're going to jump into what happens there. It's fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating. So let's do that. Mark 14, 1 through 11. And I'm doing this because Jesus does say this is a primary event in his life. All right. So looking at it, we're going to divide it into four different sections. Verses 1 through 11, you see a wicked plan, a worshipful act, a mixed response, and a wicked plot. And I say that to begin with here because it begins and ends with a wicked plan and a wicked plot. A wicked plan and a wicked plot. And Mark is doing that on purpose because of the contrast to what's in the middle. Uh, What's in the sandwich there of the wickedness is so beautiful because it's worship. So you have wickedness, worship, wickedness. And and they're related as they're contrasted. Okay, And, and we'll look at that in just a minute. So let's start with this first Wicked plan. I'm going to say this is a dark cloud rising. Now, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. Wow. Okay, so he's giving us, at the front bookend, Something that's happening in Jerusalem. Then he's going to go to Bethany, and he's going to tell us about a scene that had happened in Bethany. 
And he's going to end in verses 10 and 11. He's going to tell us about another scene that happened in Jerusalem with Judas. Okay, This is the first one, this dark cloud rising. He's going to describe something that's happening as people plot to put Jesus to death. All right, this Passover and unleavened bread, this would be the, the feast, the normal feast of the Passover, Passover meal, commemorating the death angel passing over uh, as the children of Israel brought out of Egypt. And that bringing out of Egypt would be the feast of unleavened bread, but often uh, symbolically put together as, as one feast. So this Passover feast of unleavened bread. During this time, it's interesting, the Jewish community would be taking all of the what out of their home? All the, all the leaven, right? Taking all the leaven out of the home. One commentator marks how ironic that the Jewish leaders here are meeting together to rid Israel of her Messiah, while Israel herself is ridding all the leaven out of her home. So who is this? The chief priests and the scribes. These chief priests would be more of the Sadducees side of things of the Sanhedrin, this organized Senate body, uh, the ones who have the authority, the power. And then the scribes would be more the Pharisee side of things. But they were the seating group that made these huge decisions. It's like the Democrats and Republicans always vying for power. They're always fighting, but here they've come together against one common enemy, and that is Jesus, this rabbi. They've already decided to kill Jesus. That happened after Lazarus was raised from the dead. They, as a body, decided to put Jesus to death. But Mark is stating something interesting here. He's saying that the scribes and Pharisees were doing what? Seeking how to seize him by stealth, and kill him. You see, this is the issue. Uh, Jesus has become extremely popular. And so it's not just, okay, we're going to put him to death. How are we going to do this? How is this going to happen? Uh, Well, we need to be tricky. We need to use stealth. We need to be deceptive. We need to seize him. And then we can kill him. Because this is the problem, verse 2. We can't do this like right at the height of the festival, right? While everybody's watching, because there might be a what? A riot among the people. This is how popular Jesus had become at this point as he's coming to Jerusalem. Um, The common person is accepting him as Messiah. They don't know everything about him, but they are very fearful and, and this is the thought behind some of the, the, some of the Jewish leaders are saying, I believe this is Messiah. I just can't stand up to everybody else. Some of these Jewish leaders are saying, we don't know, but he's definitely causing so much trouble that we've got to put him down or Rome is going to come and quell this earthquake that's happening. And so it'd be better for one to die for all the people. right? And so it's almost like an, an altruistic, we need to kill him to save Israel. Um, But there's also jealousy. Uh, There's the desire to be in power. And so they're desiring to seize him by stealth. I think this is important for us to understand here that Jesus could have taken the, 
the, the government upon his shoulder at this point. He could have taken the common person and used this riot to overthrow Rome. Right? The, the night that he's arrested, he is going to say, I am. He's going to say, Yahweh. He's going to say, Ego me," And the soldiers are going to fall as dead men. Okay? He could do that and every opposition would just fall. This is our Lord. Right? I don't like this idea that Jesus, this po- it's called postponed kingdom theory, right? And maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't, but the idea that Jesus really wanted to come and establish the kingdom, but Jewish people didn't want him to. And so he had to point plan B, die on the cross. It's ridiculous. The Father and the Son and the Spirit planned our redemption. And if the Son wanted to receive the kingdom at that point, he could have. But he said, the Father's will is for me to drink this cup of redemption, the, the wrath of the Father. He is in charge. The ruling king, the great I am, must still become God's silent lamb. And so he comes with his face like a flint. Has the Father given me this cup and shall I not drink it? And we'll see that even more next Sunday as the common people do crown him king in one sense. But today, a a lady does. Look at verse 3. This worshipful act is so fascinating. And, And so Mark, what he's doing is he's putting these in juxtaposition. Right, so he's not really focused on the timing as much as that's going on in Jerusalem. And look at what's going on in Bethany. So opposite. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Okay, the time of worship while he was in Bethany. Okay, and I do want to give just a minute to this, and I wish I could give 20 minutes to it, and and I can't. Alas, again, uh, I did, what I did is I I kind of took the, the academic side of this, right? Because what we have here is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, we're trying to harmonize these four gospel accounts. And sometimes as you look at all four of them, you say, wait a second, there's a, this is a little different in Matthew like what Mark is talking about and what John is talking about. And when you put them all together, you have a, a beautiful four-dimensional view of Jesus. We're so thankful that there's four biographies. But sometimes it takes a little bit of work and study to actually harmonize those. Okay? And so what I did is I harmonized these four for you and answered the questions. This I also included in the weekly email with the questions and answers. But um, it, it is a little difficult to, to sort through between Mark here and John when this happened. All right, so I'm saying it happened Saturday before the triumphal entry. Uh, even though verses 1 and 2 there, he's talking about probably Tuesday. Um, but he's saying not necessarily that this happened then. But the, the plot against Jesus happened on Tuesday. And then verse 3, he comes up with this different time, while he was in Bethany. And as we'll see, Mark's main idea is not really hashing out each day, but he's showing you what's going on. Okay, so this is going to be so clear as we continue on. Okay, so keep, keep up. Okay, so the time of worship is while Jesus is in Bethany, and we would place that around Saturday, Friday night or Saturday, the Sabbath meal. Uh, The place of worship is in Bethany. While he was in Bethany, uh, this spot that was just a couple miles east 
of Jerusalem. We talked about Jesus at Jericho last week as he, uh, as he ministers, and you find Zacchaeus, well, as he continues on that road, just a couple of miles before you get to Jerusalem is this little town of Bethany. And it would be overwhelmed with pilgrims coming up to the feast of Passover. Some accounts up to 200,000 more people, but at least tens of thousands of people. And so all these little communities surrounding the big city, Jerusalem, would be over, <clears throat> excuse me, overwhelmed with people. And so Jesus is in Bethany. He probably spent the night here, several of the nights of Passion Week, and he would go back and forth to Jerusalem from Bethany. This would be just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Where else is he? He's in Bethany, but he's at somewhere. He's at the house of Simon the leper. Uh, Simon, past tense leper. So this is probably someone Jesus had healed of leprosy. This illness that had no solution. Jesus heals Simon. Perhaps this is one of the ten that he had just recently healed, uh, or perhaps before. But the villages were packed with people that Jesus healed. Each one of these would have a desire to host Jesus as he comes up for the Passover. And, and so Simon gets the privilege that night to host Jesus in this meal, but he invites a lot of other people in that town. Another person in that town would be Lazarus, who is really causing a stir. In fact, John tells us that the, this ruling body of Jewish Sanhedrin is trying to think about putting, or they're thinking about putting Lazarus to death too, because he is a picture of Jesus' power over death. And so Jesus is in Bethany. He's at the house of Simon the leper, but we also find a few others there at least. But I see a packed room. But he's also doing what? Where is he? He's in Bethany. He's the house of Simon the leper, and he is reclining at the table. Reclining at the table. And so what you would often have are these U-shaped tables like this, like this, and like this, with this kind of path in the middle. And, and people would be all around the outside, laying down on their elbow, eating for hours. And then people would bring food in the middle of the table, but their feet would be off to the side. And so in the last Seder, we see uh, John laying back on Jesus' chest. This is why, because they're all around sitting like that. Okay, so Jesus is reclining at the table. His feet are out there. And, and uh, according to custom, mainly be men at that table, and ladies would be serving. Sorry, ladies, that's just the culture of the day. Okay, but this is what Jesus is. is just wait. All right. Um, and then there's this act of worship. Uh, a slave would wash the feet, right? And, and so just a few nights later, the disciples are going to argue, I'm not going to wash these guys' feet. I'm not going to wash these guys' feet. I'm not a servant. I'm, I'm like number one, number two. I'm the general in this army. I'm not going to be the servant. We have this amazing, amazing example of this dear lady. There came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. John tells us that she actually pours it on his feet and starts to wash his feet with her hair. 
She becomes a rag. She doesn't just become a servant, she becomes the rag to wash Jesus' feet. What an example. This amazing act of worship, the cost, very expensive perfume, as we'll see, 300 days wage of a common laborer. So we're talking $30,000-$40,000 in their economy. And she's just breaking it. This is a very wealthy family, very wealthy lady, and she is breaking it all as an example, an act of worship. The breaking of the vial means there's no going back. She's not just putting a little bit, oh, wow, this is like the the whole area would be just reeking of sacrifice, flesh burning, right, this close to Jerusalem even. And now this, this little town of Bethany just, whoa, it's a small village, fills up with this sweet smell of pure nard. I don't see nard on the fine fragrance aisle. Uh, it sounds a little odd, but this would be from a, a spice from India. The, the most precious and expensive of spices. And Mary takes this alabaster vial, that would be a translucent rock on which in which that was kept, and she breaks it. The significance there, though, is important. She's anointing a king for burial. She's signifying that Jesus is king, but he goes on to describe that he is not just king, but he is a king who's coming to die and be buried. And if I could just zoom out a little bit, um, we, we do recognize that there's probably even something more significant deeper here, that, that as you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John's account of this activity, this happened before in Luke, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, with a prostitute. And she did the same thing. And so either one of two things was going on. Either that was Mary, who had since followed Jesus and repented of her sin, and she's doing this a second time, or Mary is identifying with that lady, and I think that's what's coming on, going on. Just like everybody saw this prostitute come into the Pharisee's house that would look down on anyone who had a sinful lifestyle, and Jesus looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't condemn her, he forgives her. That's authority. And so Mary grabs on to that idea And in the last meals, she knows Jesus is about to die. And she says, I am that sinner, and I need forgiveness, and I am going to do a same act of worship in asking for forgiveness, believing that Jesus will die and be buried. We don't know how much she knew, but we do know she was probably the only one. One of the only people who knew what was going on. She's been sitting at Jesus' feet. And now she's anointing him for burial. Well, look at the response. This is, this, is, this is horrible. A mixed response. There's a rebuke. Verse 4 and 5. Some were indignantly angry, remarking to one another, Why has she wasted this perfume? Just wasted it. So you see this, I don't know, when your family gets together, maybe you have 
our family's kind of chill, but, but maybe you have a lot of bubbling and, and people get mad at each other. I don't know. A big, but that's what's going on here. There's some diciness. They're, they're like, what are you doing, Mary? Like you, wait, we're going up to Passover, and, and we, you could have, and this was often a time to give to the poor. Just think of all that could have been, been given. What did they say? They, they rebuked her. This, this perfume was wasted. Now, we find here that it's some, and this is why I say it's so important. This is why we're doing a harmony of the Gospels. Right? We're not just doing John. We're, we're doing all of them. John tells us that the primary person behind this is who? Anyone know? Judas. Judas is confronting her. And others, but especially Judas. And he's saying, oh boy, this could have, this could have given a lot of money. $40,000, that would be great. Um, but we find out Jesus, Judas's real motive in the Gospel of John. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into that. Wow! Judas is wanting to rob Mary of her life savings so that he can live off of that. This is, this is one of Jesus' 12 followers, his intimate followers. No one suspected Judas. And so they confront her. They were scolding her. Oh, I love that Jesus stands up. <laughs> what is Jesus' response? Oh, he really lets us have it. Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. What did she do? She did a good deed. Why? Because, just leave her alone, because she did this for my burial. And this is so interesting. As we see here in several cases, the the person you wouldn't expect is more tuned in than everyone else. Uh, A little bit later, Thomas the doubter is going to see Jesus and he's going to declare him as God. And, And in each case, Jesus accepts the worship. But it comes from the person that you wouldn't expect. And here, here is Talmudim sitting there railing on her. And here is Mary standing up to them and saying, No, Jesus is about to die and be buried. I need to prepare him for burial because I might not be able to at that point. Mary knows what's going on. And, and probably is, in one sense, the first Christian. Because she's saying... I know you're going to die, and I still follow you as king because you're going to sort that out. You must have power over death. Just like Abraham believed Isaac would be raised, she's somehow seeing in faith, this is going to work out. I know you are still Messiah. You're still king. I still bow to you. Amazing testimony of faith. The poor you always have with you. Whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. And the idea there is she's like whatever she could do, she did it. It's almost like this is everything she had and she's put it together to anoint my body before the burial. Jesus has repeatedly, and we could do this, repeatedly talked to the disciples about this and they're still clueless. And yet Mary is clued in. And so what does she get? This amazing commendation. This commendation in verse 9, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done 
will be spoken of in memory of her. Here we are, across the world, and we are talking about Mary and her act of sacrifice. Thousand, nine hundred and whatever years later, Jesus says what what she has done will be spoken of. And now all around the world, the gospel is being translated into every language. And in these gospels is this account. A momentous occasion. Jesus says, I want everyone to know what's going on here. We have a believer, a worshiper, who is bowing to me as king. There is nothing sensual about this at all. It is inappropriate for her with her hair. But what she is saying is, you are my king and I am a rag. And now he's going to juxtapose juxtapose or contrast that with, with Mary with this. Look at the wicked plot, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this, promising to give him money. Get the money from Mary. I need the money. And so he's going to get it with Jesus' blood. Can't get his cut from Mary? He'll take it from the, the, the price of the Lamb of God. And for that decision, he will eternally be punished from the presence of the Lamb. This is, this, is, uh, this is an amazing thing what Mark's doing here. Of course, the Holy Spirit is writing this out, but you see what he's doing. Verse 1 and 2, how are we going to do this? How are we going to know about Jesus' you know, intimate schedule so that we can plan a time where he's not around people? How are we going to do this? We want to kill him, but how? It's going to happen because this lady's going to give him $40,000 and just waste it in front of everybody. And that's going to make one of those intimate followers so angry that he's done. And he's ready, he's ready to combine with combine forces and provide a plot where they will be alone at dark in the night. That's what's going on here. That's what Mark is saying. How are we going to do it? We're going to get Judas. The trusted Judas. We need to find in Mary this amazing example. We, we, we need to learn to worship the Lamb. Mary follows the cue of this lady and identifies with her as the one that needs forgiveness. And we all need to be in that same spot. I am a dirty rag, worthless, without the forgiving grace of Jesus. Lord, I'm an alabaster vial. I take up my cross, I break my life, and I follow you. This is given worship, true worship. I pour out my life to you, Lord, giving our resources, our time, our energies as a reflection of our heart. We find many similar expressions of faith in heroes of the past. I'm reading one, Pastor Shi spent... Late 1800s, early 1900s, ministering in uh, rural China, reaching those who are bound by addiction of opium. He would go into a city. He himself 
actually was saved, uh, being chained to opium for many years, got saved, and that broke it. And so he wanted to give his life helping people hear the gospel, and he did so through providing these oases where people could come and get over their addictions. Um, many, many, many came to know Christ through his ministry. But this ministry kept growing and growing and growing, and he wanted this city and this city and this city, and he was praying to reach a new city. Every morning at family worship, he remembered Ho Chao in prayer. He had no means, no workers to provide help to reach out to this new city. Mrs. Xi asked what they could do. He said, well, we just, we can't take care of it. It's too costly. No money in hand. How much would be needed? 30000 in cash. That's a large sum. She went her way. Uh, she, she would have had that earlier in life. They were very wealthy, but they had given of themselves to this work so much that they didn't have anything left. She keeps praying. He keeps praying. Next morning, she prayed again for Ho Chao. She came up and said, I think the Lord has answered our prayers. Put a little parcel in front of him. She lifted up and saw that inside there was a complete set of all the jewelry a Chinese woman values most, the gold, silver rings, bracelet, hairpins, earrings, and other ornaments from her husband's wedding gift. With tear-dimmed eyes, he looked at his wife, understanding now her change in appearance. The dormants of a married woman in her position were all gone. No rings, no silver, silver hairpins. She said, I can do without these. Let this city have the gospel. And so we find similar acts of sacrifice from Mary, from Mrs. Sheed. But really, these are not unusual. They show us the way of the cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. All of us leave all. All of us break the vial of all of our wishes and desires at Jesus' feet and say, no longer my way, Lord. No longer my plans. I break all that. And I let you do whatever you want with me. This is Christianity. This is not something unusual. This is everyone who will come to Jesus must take up their cross and follow him. This is not, Christianity is not, well, let me see if the glass slipper fits. And then all of a sudden, the prince is going to take care of all of my wishes the rest of my life. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He is the king of kings, and we bow to him, and we say, I'm a rag. Forgive me and use me if you can. That's what's going on. And so we follow Mary's footprints as we read. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What, if, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And so we find here, really, just a purpose for life. This is, this is our purpose. It's not a fairy tale. It gives us deeper meaning than just clocking in and clocking out. It's not the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. This is the King of Kings. He's an eternal person who is one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They have made all things and they demand our worship and praise. Paul puts it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Like which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so as we look at his, his gift to us, my job, my income, my relationships, my time, my abilities are now for him. And so that's the application here of this story. This is the preaching of this story. Christ is king of my time. And, and sometimes these are taught in such a way that we misunderstand them. Right? We think of the Lord's Day. Well, Sunday is the Lord's Day. No, every, I, there's, a, there's a teaching in the Bible, there's a good day of rest, it's, it's the Lord's Day, but you know what, every second is the Lord's. When we bow to Jesus, we are, we're no longer our own, we're bought with a price, so I'm his bond slave, and every second is his second. That's Christianity, that's where Mary is leading us, it's the way of the cross. My time is not my own, I'm not deciding what to do with my time, I'm wondering what Christ wants me to do with his time. Christ is king of my vocation. It's not just a pastor or missionary who has a vocation dedicated to God. Every bush is a burning bush. All ground is holy ground. Whether I'm working with a crowbar, my hands, my feet, I'm washing feet, I'm washing cars. Everything is five loaves and two fish given to him saying, Lord, my job is for you. No matter what your occupation is, it's dedicated to God. Whether I'm a politician or a meter reader, devoted to God. Maybe not the meter readers. No, all of them. All of us. Even a politician could be devoted to God and what they do. No longer wanting to serve myself, serve the king of kings. This is what we all are. This is Christianity. Christ is king of my relationships. It's not just outreach on Wednesdays or Sundays or Thursdays for an hour. No, my life is about promoting his name. My relationships are about reaching out all the time. And so we don't slam sinners for being sinners. We befriend sinners and say, look, I'm just a rag. I'm nothing. I found someone who changed me and saved me and forgave me. We don't look down on people. We encourage them to look up to Jesus the only way. Out of a life that's dominated by sinfulness, which is just selfishness, which is what we're born following. Christ is king of my income. And, and so, yes, right, there's this principle of 10%, and, 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 and this is a, a good principle, but this is not Christianity. Christianity is it's all his. Everything is his. And I say, Lord, how can, you, how can I steward your resources of what you've given me. What do you want? Where do you want me to give it? Where do you, I direct, wherever you direct, I direct it. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. It's the, day, the way of the cross. And if you've done this, if this is your heart, then you're with Mary. You're with, you're following Jesus. You have an eternal, beautiful relationship with the King of Kings, you will never die. Eternal life. You're a part of a Christian community. You're leaving all and following with others. And you're finding joy in that. You know what brings a whole lot of unjoy, <laughs> sadness? Living for yourself. Living for a political party. Living for a paycheck or retirement. That will give you no joy. But if you devote yourself to living for Christ, you find that all of my life now is worship. I have meaning. 
You want meaning as a young person. Bow the knee to Jesus and find in him great joy. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. He's fairer than lilies, that's why. He deserves this. He's sweeter than honey. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just pray. Lord, make us your rag. I'm a rag in his hand. May I be used by his strength to clean up this mess that our own hands have wrought. Dipped in his blood, cleansed in my heart to love other friends he loved first and loved best. Not seeing the sin, but the soul that may bow and worship to Christ who has redeemed us from hell. This example of Mary is one that, if you find it welling up in your heart, is supernatural. Respond to it. It's not yours. And so let me encourage all of us to respond to Jesus' message here. He he condones and commends Mary's example. May we all, right now, in your mind, break the vial of self, pour yourself out to Christ, and say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours to control. Whatever you want, here it is. Okay, let's all do that in closing prayer. Let's all bow before Jesus at his feet and worship him in this way, and he will be honored. In a moment, Pastor Andrew will close in prayer. If you'd like to pray, I'll be standing in the back in the lobby. I'd be happy to pray with you.